We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Chelsea, 2-0 winners at St. James's Park on Saturday. And you've got Alex Hurst, Charlotte Robson and Norman Riley to try and once again make sense of what the hell is going on at Newcastle United under Steve Bruce. And we're going to talk a little bit about the game today, but I think you know you could listen to to many podcasts we've done, particularly in 2020, and uh, we'd be drawing on the same set of analyses and, and flaws and errors and all of the things which make this Newcastle United side so terrible to us anyway. And one of the first things... I think is worth saying is that once again the manager in the post-match interview to Sky has what's the right word here deflected deflected is that yeah we'll go with deflected and basically you know it was put to him about fan unrest and he kind of snapped back well there'll always be grumbles and and I think you know will there always be grumbles because when we beat Manchester United title chase in Manchester United. Uh, under Rafa Benitez and Matt Ritchie squad. I didn't really hear any grumbles after that game. Um, you know, same as when we turned over Southampton 3 0 uh, season, was it 17 18 or, or 3 1 and 18 19? There weren't too many grumbles after that game. And just, and, and, and bear with me here because I'm not trying to justify what I'm about to say, but you know, when Steve Bruce was hit with a cabbage at Aston Villa <laughs> from the stands and when the whole of the stadium alight, half full probably, but the the people that were there in 2011 sang, you're just a, a sad Geordie bastard. Like That's like extreme toxicity. That's beyond just you're getting sacked at the morning, which was sung at Steve McLaren. That's beyond just a banner held up at the City of Manchester Stadium for Graham Souness. It's beyond, you know, the kind of the anger towards Joe Gunnier when he was appointed. Uh, there are lots of managers get sacked at lots of clubs and lots of managers lose fans. But I look back to those two incidents and I'm not saying either are okay. Definitely not the second one. And I hope that person was, was banned because it's not all right to do that to another person. But but to get to that level of, of hatred from those fan bases to this manager, you know, I've, I've always wondered how has he got it there? And, and, it, and it's comments like keyboard warriors and it's comments like there'll, there'll always be grumbles at this club. And it's comments like, well, Jeff Hendricks learning what what it's like to play for Newcastle United. He said that like as if, as if, as if Hendricks horror show performances are nothing to do with him and his management style of the player but it's somehow our fault like w- would you agree Norman that that the manager kind of saying things like this after every single defeat 
is 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 only leading us one way, and it's not to a pleasant place. Hundred percent. It infuriates me because it's it's just utter rubbish. Now there will always be grumbles. No, no, there'll be grumbles when there's something to grumble about. So when the team is like terrible, I mean, like systematically terrible as well, because that's pretty much what we have been for the last season and a half. You know, there's been the occasional chink of light, but it's been terrible. So there are going to be grumbles. I think that's perfectly valid to complain about something if it's absolutely atrocious. And that's what Newcastle United have been on numerous occasions under Steve Bruce. And in particular, the last two games have been absolutely awful. But to come out and say that, it's like, you don't need to say that. You don't see it. Just accept the fact that your side was outplayed and that you were completely outthought by a better manager and a better set of players. And admit that maybe there were, there were things that you could have done better. Maybe the things the players could have done better. But to try and flip it round and make it about the fact that actually it wasn't that bad of a performance and the fans are going to complain regardless. Like almost saying like even if we won, the fans would have complained. It's just an absolute lie. The comments of Jeff Henrik were ridiculous. Like it, it's it's atrocious that anyone would say that now people are realising what it's like to play for Newcastle United. What's it like to play for Newcastle United? We've been a table that's been at best mid-table for about the past 12 years. A couple of stints in the Championship. One player, one time we hit fifth. There isn't much pressure. There's no pressure on the players. There's no more pressure in Newcastle United on players to perform than there's at any other football club. In fact, I would say there's less because our expectations are so low. Our expectations as fans are basically that players try hard and that they're played in the kind of correct position. And if they're atrocious... Then you will get a few grumbles, and I think that's you know that is football through to it. It's not just Newcastle United. So this whole narrative is, to be frank, it's it's disgusting in its excuse making. And as a fan, as a, as a fan of that club who's been going for a long, long time, to have those kind of words thrown at us, um, it, it's really, really frustrating and annoying. And there's only kind of so much of it you can you can take. It, it it's got the stage. You know, you're just like, you know what? I it must be. I, I tell you what. I tell you what, Steve. It's woeful. It's woeful. The fans that were absolutely terrible. So I, you're right, and, and if we weren't here, if we weren't here as fans, or if we just shut up completely, then we'd be, you know, we'd be pushing for eighth place. I don't doubt it. Soz, I'm soz for everything that we've done. It's just absolute rubbish. Like it really is. I can't I don't, know, I don't know what else I can say to that. To be perfectly honest with you, mate. You don't hear soz enough these days, do you? Um, <laughs> my, uh, my, my gripe with it, uh, as <laughs> apart from what Norman's just said, very eloquently and angrily, rightly so. Is that this sort of like this belittling and delegitimizing any valid, and there is a lot of valid um, uh, criticism by calling it grumbles on social media, or like like uh, like to 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 belittle it or to make it so, so small as to just be a little grumble. There's always going to be grumbles. It's like no, these are very valid points that people are making, and they're not. That it's not just a few of them. Like, uh, you know, those followers on social media of um, of Newcastle United will know that this is often not a United fan base, and and there are often little factions and things like that. But this is the most United I've seen us in a little while. Um, about how terrible the performances have been, and uh, and continue to be, and and how and how I don't know. I just, I just it really bothers me that it's this sort of almost twee little language, like. Oh, it's a few grumbles. There's always going to be a few grumbles, aren't there? It's like a like a granddad trying to make his grandson feel better about you know, like falling over in the park. This is bigger than that, and it's and it's and it's frustrating to me to hear it like characterised as such. I think Steve Bruce is extremely lucky that there are not fans on the ground at the moment. 
I was going to say that because he, he says there are there's always grumbles, not in front of an empty stadium, Steve. All of this supposed pressure that you and your pals have always talked about and always said is is a massive issue about playing at St James's Park and the pressure and all of this. Well, now now you've got an empty stadium, just like every other manager. Now now you've got um, a, a blank canvas, as it were, to allow your managerial techniques to seep through without any added pressures. And and this is the result, and, and this is what we've seen. You know, that, remember, you know, there's loads of managers. It was Steve McLaren was always like, judge me after 10 games, and that went badly, and judge me after a, a month, and judge me after six months, and judge me after a season. <laughs> you know, Steve McLaren, what, judge me after 56 games. 56 <laughs> games as manager. I don't want to sit here every single week with 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 you both or, or other true faith contributors or listen and it's just and it's just the same thing week after week because that you know we we recorded the podcast after Southampton and I felt I was repeating myself in many ways uh, with many of the things I said after the Man United game and when I did the Man United podcast it was many of the same things as after the Spurs podcast the Spurs podcast was the same after the Liverpool podcast and the Man City podcast last season. And it's just this never-ending stream of shit. That, and to bring it back to my question at the start, it, it's, you don't have any confidence whatsoever that unless they, 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 as in Steve Bruce, the coaching staff, accept that there are serious issues with the way they are setting up the team, training this team, then how are they supposed to improve in it? Look at, look at, look at the two weeks that we've had. Am I correct here? Apart from Jamal Lewis, um, every single one of Newcastle United's starting players was not on international duty. Have I missed anyone? I don't think I have. I think all of those players were had two weeks to, to come together after that horror show at Southampton, where were what were we? We were too deep, too passive, couldn't keep the ball, didn't make any tackles. Fast forward two weeks, how have any of those issues been addressed? Any of them? Norman, you had your hand up. Just going back to the um, comments uh, that Bruce made. Now, I looked at Kevin Keegan's comments after the 2-0 defeat against Chelsea in 2008. And Keegan obviously didn't come out after the game and mention that there'll always be grumbles or that the fans could do better or the fans need to sort themselves out. And bearing in mind, this is after a season where you know we had Sam Allardyce for two-thirds of it and had to watch Sam Allardyce um, we, we, by the way, this, this is a good job that he did. Sam Allardyce actually made a Glen Rudder side worse, which I think is a spectacular <laughs> achievement in football in terms. Um, Keegan comes in, starts to turn things around, as we know, after a bumpy start. But again, that Chelsea game, and this is, this is 2008, he says, at the moment, we're a million miles away from Chelsea. Um, and he was talking about maybe, you know, getting investment in the summer and get three or four players in and then be able to challenge for, for fifth place. And, you know, none of it was like negative and none of it was portioning blame on the fans. And I think myself, 12 years later, we've got the same owner in. We've got minimal investment throughout his tenure. That, that, that's, that's a reality. There has been minimal investment comparatively for a club of the fan base at Newcastle. As everyone knows the reasons. Everyone knows why I'm saying minimal investment. Um, we've got minimal investment in the academy. I look at Chelsea yesterday. You've got four players, um, three starting, one coming off the bench. Four of them would just walk straight into Newcastle's team. So they've invested in the academy as well as spend lots of money. That's something that we haven't done. Um, and then I look at... Steve Bruce's comments and Steve Bruce's comment comments are essentially blaming the fans for how bad it's been for him so far. And I just think to myself, like, where what where's that coming from? What how is this the fan? Like, how 
can the fans have any influence of what, what's going on on the pitch? It's been 12 years of Mike Ashley's chairmanship and it's been Steve Bruce in charge for 56 games. This has got absolutely nothing to do with the fans. And when the fans are complaining about the air quotes style of football, that completely justified. You know, we we went out yesterday and again, like at Southampton, after sort of seven or eight minutes, it was obvious, it was so obvious that something was wrong and it wasn't working. Whatever it is, whatever it was that we were trying to do, whatever the plan was pre-game, it just wasn't working. And nothing actually changes. Kieran Clark came out after the match and he said that, you know, at half time things were addressed and and Bruce told them, go out, this is how we'll do it. And Kieran Clark said we improved. And I'm thinking, is he is he turning a party line here? Because I didn't see any improvement. I, I didn't. And and maybe, okay, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe as fans, we're just not we're not educated enough to see the nuances of what's actually happening on the pitch. And maybe things are going swimmingly well. Um, I'm just yet to remain convinced. But again, maybe that's down to me. So as I say, maybe it is all our fault, mate. Well, I, th- I think there was an improvement after half time, but. I sorry, Alex, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump straight in there. Yes. All right, there was an improvement, but this is the problem, isn't it? We're coming out with lines like there was an improvement in the second half, but that improvement was growing. It was growing from absolutely and utterly ridiculously bad to not as bad as absolutely utterly ridiculously bad. So, you know, I don't it's, it's levels of improvement, isn't it? Like it was an improvement, but it was still pretty miserable, right? I'd also caveat the improvement with the fact that Chelsea just sort of backed off a bit, like in the latter stages of the first half and then sec- certainly the second half, they were just a bit sloppier. Um, so I don't know if sort of that made us look a bit better. I, we did have a a, a chance. I, I, think, I think I think I'm, I'm buttoning again. I'm really sorry, but obviously, you know, <laughs> um, it, it's taken me like half an hour, at least 40 minutes to get online and I'm probably a little bit wound up by it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the, the, way, like, the improvement in the second half, and like, again, this may be, you know, it may be just be too soon after the match and the fact I'm talking with you two and I'm, I'm forgetting that I'm actually recording a podcast that other people listen to. But the improvement was almost like, right, and I think I said this in a message to, to somebody yesterday, it's like we play that badly, like the opposition almost automatically after sort of 60 minutes, their levels have dropped massively as well because it's like we've sucked them into playing really badly. You know, like when teams raise their games against better sides, where we actually drop off against sides and that kind of reduces them down as well. So it makes us look better, if you see what I mean. Bit of weird psychology there, but you know what I'm saying. I, I, I agree completely because... And I did want to talk about this, but first I want to go back to this improvement idea. What I'd like to say to Kieran Clark, and I'd hope he thinks to himself, why do I have to improve like so dramatically? Why can't we start the game competently? Why, according to Steve Bruce, are we too deep in the first half? These are things which happened last week. The exact same things happened last week. Like, what the hell do they do? In tra- like what? What is the what? What analysis and, and, and what are the scouting de- department doing? So, so Newcastle get hammered by Southampton last week playing a formation that we all know doesn't work. We all know it doesn't. Work. How many times on this podcast and I'm sure every other podcast have they looked back at the absolute horror shows this season? Nearly all of which, nearly all of which have been have been played with this mental formation. And, you know, you can point to the, the occasional good result. But I'm, I'm trying to think of a good performance this season or in 2020. In 2020, when we've played this 5-4-1 or 5-3-2 or 5-2-3, when have we played well? Because in 2020, 2020 we played well at Bournemouth, but we played four at the back. We beat West Ham, but we played four at the back. 
And we beat Sheffield United, but we played four at the back. Beat Southampton away, played four at the back. Uh, and we beat Everton with a decent second-half performance. That, that's the only time it's worked. I made this point on, on, on Twitter yesterday that if you look at performances that have been like so... <laughs> So far below, like a normal football side, um, that would you know, like two teams trying to compete at the same kind of game. It's not just the mega rich, you know. In terms of dreadful, like fucking awful performances this year alone, you've got Leicester, Rochdale, Norwich, Everton, Arsenal, Oxford, Palace, Man City twice, Liverpool, um, Spurs, and Southampton, and then you can throw in Brighton, Man United, and Newport playing four at the back, but. Newcastle, all of Newcastle United's problems in the Steve Bruce are, are not based around whether they play two or three centre-backs. I think some of them definitely 100% are, but not all of them are. But, but, but going back to my point, we, we played against Southampton. Southampton could have been at least 1-0 up before the scores. We're too deep, we're giving the ball away, and then the same thing happens again. And Kieran Clark saying, well, the manager told us to come out in the second half and tell us exactly what to do. And it's like, right, okay, for, even if we accept that, and even if you want it in some parallel universe, praise the manager for that. What the fuck does that say about the man- manager and the players f- for the first half performance and the performance last week and the performance against Spurs and the performance against Brighton and the performance against Man United and all of those other games I've just listed there? Like, what is actually going on at this football club? It doesn't make any logical sense. And yeah, right, even if you accept that there was a, a slight improvement... Like what? What was it that Chelsea did that would that they did? You know what? What was different about Chelsea's performance that anyone expected? What did Chelsea do that that meant that we had to change something in the second half? Because I'd argue absolutely nothing. That the game went exactly as planned. And um, Charlotte and Norman, you're both <laughs> spot on about this. And, and it was mentioned. It was mentioned on on commentary. And I think Daniel Story on Twitter mentioned it that 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 it's so comfortable for teams. It's so easy for them. They don't have to run. Literally, they don't really have to. Defensive players don't really have to do any running. Midfield players don't have to do any tracking back for the majority of games. It's so easy for them that the games just tend to like lull. You know, they'll start off with teams having four, five, six key opportunities. Darlow, Abdubravka, three or four like saves that you'd say are very good saves. Then they'll score. And then and then that's it, really. And Wolves did it. Wolves did it against, against us. You know, they get the goal... And it's like, we don't need to worry. And I mentioned the podcast before that it was Kelly Cates that was trying to, like, you know, desperately at halftime against Southampton, desperately trying to look for some sort of analysis to keep the neutral viewer interested in the second half. And she was like, if there's one thing that, that Steve Bruce's Newcastle side does, it's it's hang in there in games. And it's like, that's, that's like, like it's, it's just like, call it off, shake hands at halftime. If, if this is this is Sky selling a multi-billion pound product to its customers, and, and and the only thing they can say about one of the teams playing in a game, and it's Southampton, by the way, who finished below last season and were beat back in March, um, the only thing you can say is that, yeah, well, Newcastle are shite, but, you know, even though they concede all of the chances, all of the possession, all of the territory, um, they're still in with, like, a shout, 15 minutes to go, like, call the whole thing off. It, it's just it's it's beyond a joke. It's getting it's. It, someone asked us, Marcus, you asked us on Twitter at TFNUSC, you know, like why are we actually watching the games? And I think I think if it wasn't lockdown, and there wasn't literally anything like nothing else to do, yeah, I think lots and lots of people, and there are probably people listening to this who didn't watch the game who had an opportunity because you all know how it's going to be. You all know how it's going to turn out, and particularly against the top side 
but against but against nearly any side who's not in the bottom three or absolutely terrible or in a dire run of form. You know those games I just lift, listed off there that were won. Bournemouth on their way to rele- relegation, good performance, but you know they were, they were in an absolutely horrific run. Southampton um, down to ten men when we beat them. Sheffield United down to ten men when we beat them. Chelsea la- last season doesn't even warrant analysis because it was so unreasonable. Uh, to, to get the win, and like, what, what else have you got to draw on apart from you know Burnley, who were bottom of the league, more beaten the season, and West Ham, who were in open crisis at the start of this season, uh, between the manager, the board, and the fans, Norman or Charles. I was I was just going to jump in on um, on Darlow or Dubravka, because you said, but Darlow in this case yesterday, um, yesterday within t- I think. Well, the first goal went in around the 10-minute mark, right? And I was talking to my friend Jim about this, and he was just he was just like, this is just so awful to watch because at, at this point, Darlow's let one in, and you'd still say he's had a good game. And Yeah, yeah two keep, saves a, before that. A, yeah, a keeper shouldn't have had a good game 10 minutes into a, 10 minutes into a game. <laughs> it's just crazy. Like, I, I just... I, I, I just moving it on to the I, I don't really know where I'm going with that more than just like another illustration of how this is going nowhere. Like there's just there's nothing there to I, to build upon. I don't know. No, no I agree. And I'll tell you what, a couple of things, Reed. Um Dolo having a good good Dolo basically beat Newcastle's man the match within the first ten minutes, Reed. Um <laughs> aren't, like aren't you a little bit fed up with my goalkeeper being my best player, which has basically been the case now for two or three seasons. And like, you know, I'm including the Rafa season that, yes, it was a different context, but under Bruce, our keepers, keepers, Darlow and Dubrov have been our best players by a long shot. You know, obviously Alan Samaxman's been excellent, but in terms of consistently good, Dubravka and then Darlow has probably been our player of the season so far this season. Um, and that's to me, you know, that that is a little indicative of what we are as a team. Uh, and also the um, Kelly Cates comment: Newcastle, you know, they're always they're always good at hanging in, but we're not we're not really, you know. Again, this is another myth. If you look right in all of Steve Bruce's games, when we've fallen behind, we've got twelve points that we've come back. We've had, we've had twelve points in all the games of fallen behind, in, right? Um, two victories when we've fallen behind by a goal. That's it. Two victories, right? And do you know when? Well, the last, aye, exactly. So the last the last time we won a game after falling behind was Southampton in December the eighth. 2000 and um, what year was that? 19. So yeah. You t- so so even even this this is a myth. If it's half time and it's now teach, maybe we've got a chance of winning. Or but if we're losing, if we get a half time and losing one note, the chances of we winning are absolutely infinitesimally small, and there might be a kind of slightly better chance of getting a draw. So hanging in, it doesn't mean hanging in. If hanging in means you know what Newcastle are good at, they're good at not getting slapped. Massively every single week, despite the fact that they should. Then I that that's that's true. You know, we might be one we're one nil doing against Chelsea half time. We lose two nil, so we didn't get absolutely slapped into the floor. But my God, one nil down, we were done. We were done and dusted more or less uh, just by the mere fact that we were one nil doing at half time. So I there you go. I'm sorry, Kelly. As entertaining as it might be for you know, and attractive as it might be for people to to switch on because Newcastle hang on in there. That's actually not a good selling point either because it's untrue. It's just scraping the barrel, isn't it, for something to say? Like, really, what we're good at is not abandoning the game at halftime and going home. Like, that's <laughs> it. like Newcastle are good at coming back out of the changing room after, <laughs> after, for minute 45. Like, it's just, there isn't anything else to say about us. Like, 
you're right, Alex. Like, why, why? I can't imagine a scenario in which somebody from like watching in like Asia is is like, oh, I'll I'll put that game on and have a look. Like, wouldn't wouldn't turn it off within a minute. Three o'clock in the morning. I'll get up. I'll, get, I'll put me alarm up at three in the morning. Put me. I'm gonna put me alarm up at three in the morning because uh, you Russell know, under Steve Bruce are good at hanging on in games. Definitely getting up for that. <laughs> Yeah, they'll sell they'll sell thousands of shirts across the world for the team that just just it, it, it dies but slowly. So like it, minute, by minute ninety, the game is dead and the team are, are defeated. But it was it was it was slow and it was drawn out and it was <laughs> mostly mostly uneventful. But one of the things I want I want to get into because you know we're going to have to think about new ways of approaching this topic of Newcastle being dreadful. Um, every week on this the True Faith podcast, also on our patron shows, and we're very lucky that a couple of hundred people and more uh, still um, pay for the extra content each week and listen to the likes of Andy Griffin and Keith Gillespie um, talk to us all the time about again how bad Newcastle are. And one of the things I'm, I'm keen on uh, on your thoughts, guys. First of all, is that Bruce yesterday pointed to a couple of players being out injured, and he's right. Literally, well, three players were out injured: uh, Callum Wilson who in all of the games I've just mentioned there about as being terrible when he's been here has made uh, you know minimal impact unless he's been gifted a penalty in the 96th minute. Um, Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, who Bruce... Uh, <laughs> I can't even say this. <laughs> who Bruce has sparingly used and also played in holding midfield <laughs> in one of the games he did, he, he did play him. So he's, he's a huge miss, massive miss for the lads. Uh, and Martin Dubravka, who, who's... Um, you know, you, you cannot fault. Carl. I'm not even going to count him because Cardall has been so good yeah. and made so many saves he had no right to make. Um, He's made the most saves out of any keeper this season. They, the, the um, commentators were saying before the game started yesterday, Cardallo, of course, the keeper who's made the most <laughs> saves this season. It's like it's just a sad indictment. Yeah, um, but one of the things which, which I, I am going to look at the manager here is 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 once again. Newcastle United have a have a new um, central midfield two for the game yesterday for the first time this season in Hayden and Longstaff. Now, why is that? Is is it now? I thought Sean Lang- Longstaff had a good game or better, much better game as as it turns out. Yes, we're we're scraping the barrel here, but I thought he moved the ball quickly um, and he he got up and down the pitch well. It, that, that's, it's embarrassing. Like he played, you know, well done, Sean, <laughs> well done, mate. But I thought I thought he was one of the better players. So, so is Sean Longstaff now the first choice midfielder? If so, I know I know he was injured at the start of the season. Is that are we going to build the side around him? Because it was it was um, we started the season with Shelby and Hayden, then it became for whatever reason um, Shelby and Hendrick against Spurs, then it was Hendrick and Hayden. Now Hendrick got picked ahead of Hayden against Southampton uh, in his preferred position. So it was Hendrick and uh, Longstaff there, and now it's Longstaff and Hayden. And you might you, you could say injuries international. Fine, okay, fine. I, I, I personally I don't buy that. I think I think Hayden wasn't picked against Southampton because he gave a slightly defamatory interview to the Athletic, and not, not that he meant to be, but he, he said that we all know that as soon as Newcastle United reach safety, everyone switches off and fucks off on holiday in their heads. Fine. Uh, Steve Bruce confirmed that he was fit for that game. He just he just wasn't selected, so that's fine. So Longstaff's played both games. John Joe Shelby's on the bench yesterday, and Steve Bruce says in his press conference that he should be fine to play. Um, so next game, everyone listening, is, is it now? Is it now Hayden and Longstaff? Is that the, is that the central two to build this team around? 
Um, and it, even even ignoring that, Newcastle had a new right back yesterday, Mankiw again. He's brought back in uh, right hand side of midfield this season. Newcastle have played St. Maximin, Almiron, Cholinden. Um, uh, now Murphy and Jeff Hendrick. That's five players on the right of midfield. Um, up front, yes, Callum Wilson was injured, so, so we'll let him off there, so, so Joe Linton comes back in. Um, Kieran Clark's brought back in for the first time this season yesterday, and, and, and Jamal, Jamal Lasalle goes off injured again. Like, I, Steve Bruce says he, he is yet to get his first team out on the pitch together, but is there some kind of like unquantifiable mathematical theory of, of playing all these players in, you know, across the season? Which which is going to like magically lead him to getting his best team on the pitch. Like, who's his best best right back? Is it Jacob Murphy who moved back at right back yesterday, or is it Javier Manquillo? Does it depend on the formation he plays? Who who are the whole midfield too? Who does he want to play in right right of midfield? Is it Jacob Murphy? Is it Miguel Almiron? Is it some Axman on the other side? Is it fucking Joe Litton against Manchester United pulled out of nowhere just because a good game in a completely different position? The previous week against a far inferior opponent, there's no consistency. Consistency here. How how are players supposed to build partnerships in this team when every game there just seems to be like random selections which don't make any sense? Like I alluded to, that Wolves formation was and, and team selection was absolutely mental. We ended up getting a wholly undeserved point from it, just like we did at Spurs. By the way, you know what, what is he building here? What like to me? We'd love to hear from people who think I'm wrong. To me. It is literally week by week, turn up a couple of days before and just pick a load of lads and play them because I can't. Norman alluded to there that we had issues getting, we spent 45 minutes trying to sort this podcast out and actually speak to each other. It, it almost feels to me like we put more effort into trying to get this podcast out than the team do trying to, trying to come up with a, a strategy um, against Chelsea that isn't just keep it tight, concede loads of chances, but we might not concede and forget the 60 minutes, who knows? That, like, someone presented me anything else than that being the formula because you know and I, and I have tried I put a couple of tweets out saying you know I think for once because Twitter in, in my humble opinion gets most things wrong in terms of popular feeling uh, you only have to look at you know elections and stuff like that but at the minute I think Twitter is spot on amongst the overall mood of Newcastle United fans that not one or very few that's an exaggeration very few Newcastle United fans would be anything other than elated if Steve Bruce was sacked tomorrow and, and so I've had a few people come back at me with, with with some arguments which I'll put to you both about why he's doing a good job or why he should remain in the job. But Charlotte, you want to say something? Yeah, I just I sort of when you put it like that about who's played where and 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 this sort of building partnerships thing, it's really stark when you actually lay it out like that. Like if you if you've been paying attention to the lineups and stuff, you sort of know that things are different week in week out, and 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 people are playing sort of all over the place. But to sort of lay it out like that, you just think, oh, Christ, that is, it's bleaker than I even thought. And I thought it was pretty bleak. Um, and I was also going to say that um, I um, I did a sort of brief thing on TalkSport on Saturday morning, just uh, chatting about the Chelsea game in advance of it. And I said, you know, they were sort of like, well, what do you want? And I think they are reasonably sympathetic to the fact that um, we, you know, are sick of this sort of dire football. In fact, um they did say, which was quite nice and refreshing. They did say, like, I did watch the Southampton game and it was terrible. Um, and I understand a little bit more about what Newcastle fans are saying now. 
But um, I they sort of said, what do you want? And I was like, what players that like know where they're supposed to be or like know what they're doing? And they sort of laughed at that. And we're like, yeah, but we all look at the lineup and say, oh, we want so-and-so to be playing at right back or we want so-and-so. And I was like, no, it's it's way deeper than that. And it's sort of what you were saying there, Alex. It's like, it's this, it's this, not just wanting players to play in the positions that they want to play in, because um, that, goes some way or positions that they are supposed to play in that 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 goes some distance but it's this consistency and this building of relationships and building of partnerships on on the pitch that you can then rely on and 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 right now we've got players who don't have that there's a I watched yesterday and I was like these players might get on you know they might be friends or whatever but on the pitch they're just there's no cohesion for me there's no real um, link up there's no I, ju- I just it's kind of sad to see it, lo- it looks lost to me absolutely Norman more the thing is and, and we know this we've, we've discussed this on numerous occasions the tactical strategy at Newcastle under Bruce is a reflection of how I how I see the club in the sense that it's just chaotic it's thrown people into the team in the hope that a magic formula is going to come off. And you know what? Sometimes it works. Like We've picked up enough points under Steve Bruce's tenure to survive comfortably in the Premier League. Now, to be honest with you, three weeks ago, I was convinced we were going to survive comfortably in the Premier League. Based on the last two performances, I'm, you know, I'm no longer as confident as I was because we've been so bad. And this, at the minute, looks like it's only heading one way, which is you know getting worse and worse. And the reason... The reason managers play players out of position regularly, the reason managers change sides with such frequency is when they're clutching at straws and when they're losing confidence in their own ability to turn things around. And that's what I feel like we're seeing at Newcastle and we've been seeing it for a long, long time. It's just that sometimes it's worked. And what happens is when it works, it tends to be the next week. Because it worked the week before, we'll use it again. And then if we lose, it's back to default of throwing things around, chucking a few players in, seeing what happens. And I don't think it's sustainable to the kind of long-term um, health of a, a Premier League football club. And I think as a player as well, if you're repeatedly playing, repeatedly being shifted out of position, you're probably going to stop caring to a certain extent. And that's, a, that's quite a big accusation to throw. But I'm not talking about literally saying, I don't care anymore. I'm talking about like on a subconscious level, you'll probably just switch off a little bit because you, you, you don't have your coming again. Um, and... It is incredibly painful to watch. Um, and I genuinely don't know. I mean, my next game, what? My next game is Crystal Palace away. And I've got no idea, and I don't suppose you two do either, of how we are going to approach that game. Like, zero idea. Um, and I'd imagine the players themselves have got zero idea. And that's pretty damning, isn't it? Massively so. And, and, and looking ahead to those games... You- you know, Crystal Palace was the low point for me last season. I've talked about it on the podcast before. I came, I went to Palace away, spent a lot of money doing it, and and left on about eighty minutes because it was just so bad, it was so pointless that I thought even if we scored here, and and we'd already had Everton, do you know what I mean? And we'd already had Chelsea, and we'd already had the. You just like what? What does this actually do? Getting a point, and 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 it did lead to Bruce wholesale massively changing the formation for probably his best spell as manager, which again makes it even more infuriating. And, and to answer your question even further, Norman, what what is annoying 
And, and I appreciate injuries come into it. Of course they do. But welcome to football. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's always been so. Steve Bruce has a squad that is almost perfectly set up to play in a 4-2-3-1 formation. That was put to me on Twitter as well. You know, Callum Wilson with potentially Joe Linton behind them or Almiron, Fraser and some Maximum out wide, two holding midfielders, Hayden, Longstaff, Shelby and Hayden, whoever you want, um, Lascelles and Fernandez or Lascelles and Clark with um, Manquillo, if, you, if, if that's your number one right back, and Jamal Lewis at the other side. Like, that's that's the team there. And even if you get injuries, if if there's a settled plan and identity, and even if you want to play counter-attack, even if you're going to play without the majority of the ball, like teams that play counter-attack don't have 19% possession. It doesn't work. You don't have enough of the ball to have counter-attacks. There, there is no identity there. And, it, and at least if we played 4-2-3-1 yesterday, and that was our formation, didn't you know, we played 4-4-2 against um, Brighton, didn't work, shock. Um, but at least if there was like something to hang on to, rather than what Norman correctly points out, that next week we could end up playing like four three three, five two. You, you just you've got no idea. And like you say, and I'm I'm possibly being a little bit conspiratorial here. But how many times in these absolute horror shows of performances do players go off injured? You know, Lascelles off at half time yesterday. Um, Saint Maximan off against Burnley. Richie off against Spurs, he was injured because he, he was out for a long time. You know, it, in terms of, 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 of you know, the, the old cliche would demand a team that tries. And we used to say under Rafa, and I want to talk about him again in, in, in a second or two, we used to say, you know what, the, the, you, could, you could see total commitment. Can anyone, anyone listen to this, say this whole total commitment from our side yesterday when Timo Werner just runs the, the length of the pitch? You know, I've had people say to me, Sean Longstaff's got to bring him down, but why isn't he bringing him down? Take a book and you weren't in a book. And you know, one of the problems for Sean Longstaff there, he's probably absolutely fucking knackered because playing without the ball for the entirety of the game in midfield must be mentally and physically exhausting. And it, it, it comes back to all, all I'm listing here are advantages for the opposition, advantages for the opposition. Someone on WhatsApp put to me very succinctly yesterday that if, you, if you'd switched onto that game halfway through the first half, you thought Newcastle were desperately clinging on to a 1-0 deficit. That would be the only explanation to how Newcastle had set up as a side. And yet we hear from the players that, that you know they appreciate the first half wasn't good enough and it's, it's the same thing every week, Norman. I turn back to, um, to team selection and whatnot, um, and you mentioned Miguel Amiron there. Now, this is another great that I've got. If you are worth your salt as a manager, you look at that group of players you've got, and Newcastle United are at best, at best, we're a mid-table side, right? And I'm talking mid to bottom as well. New in the squad, you've got some players who are very good, right? But, but minimal, right? Two of the very good ones are Alan Samaxman and Miguel Amaron. Miguel Amaron is an excellent footballer in that squad, especially. He's just a good footballer, full stop. But in that squad, he is one of the better outfield players in terms of the natural talent that he's got and the ability to cause damage to the opposition. New, he's not getting a game because... I get the impression that Bruce doesn't know how to utilise his talents in the way that he sets up the side for whatever style that's supposed to be. Almiron, the type of player like Almiron, doesn't fit in. And again, that's a problem because Almiron, it should be, he should be in that team. Given the, given that squad, given the, the strength, the strength air quotes of that squad, right? Miguel Almiron should be an, an automatic pick for virtually every single game from the start, as should Alan Samaxaman in his correct position. Almiron should be in the team pretty much every game in the position that uses him best. To have a player of his talent on the bench when we're a struggling side, by the way, I just I can't I can't wrap my head around it. And the only thing I can think of is that Bruce just doesn't know how to set up a side that is built around the actual talent of players in there, i.e. Maximan and Almiron. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. 
completely agree. Um, and it, I go back to, to you know that, that idea. If I, I wrote in the special, which you know everyone can subscribe to for free, um, the the match day newsletter that was sent that was True Faith with you know there's always one of us writes it each week out the eight of us whoever who do True Faith consistently. And what I said in that special was, listen, I'm already. I wish it wasn't so, but I'm comfortable losing this game. I know we'll probably lose today. What I want to see is the semblance of a plan and something to cling on to that, all right, well, we got beat, or we could have had some major individual errors, there could have been some bad performances, but we got beat, and, and it's a work in progress, as Steve keeps Steve Bruce keeps saying, I'm not on first name terms, I've never met him. Um, <laughs> but that you got you got, you got got none of that, and it's so hard. You know, we'll, we'll play again Friday night, Charlotte, I really hope that you're going to do a, a YouTube um, yes. Charlotte show ahead of the game at 7pm. I will be, I'll be yep. well up for that. Great, yeah, um, I was going to put it in the group, but you've uh, put me on the spot on the podcast. Yes, uh, we'll be doing a YouTube at seven for the runner. Um, join us, have a drink, um, and we'll be previewing the game. Yep, so don't, uh, don't, uh, don't listen to a load of dafties on Sky or whatever. Pretend <laughs> pretend like Steve Bruce is doing a good job. You can come and watch us instead. Um, one of the things that I did yesterday and I like to do is try and hear some positives about Steve Bruce, Steve Bruce because I'm aware that not everyone thinks the same, and different Newcastle fans think different things. In, in my social circle, and, and people who both are on Twitter and are not on Twitter, both people who go to Newcastle United home every single week, and people who just show a passing interest, all of them agree that Steve Bruce is doing a bad job. So I, I do try and find out what are the positives, you know, of Steve Bruce, and in, 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 in almost, in fact, in every single person, every single person. Who made any attempt to stick up for them, and I'm and I'm grateful to those people, and I appreciate the the communication. All of them mentioned Rafa Benitez, and to me, there's no comparison. I can't even get into it, people, and I don't. But but you know, when when we were judging Rafa Benitez, did um did we constantly talk about Steve McLaren? When we, when Steve McLaren was having a nightmare, we were, we were looking at John Carver nine defeats out of ten games and giving him an easy right. No, of course not, because that is ridiculous. Now, I don't think Rafa's, what Rafa left and what Bruce, is, what Bruce is producing that is remotely comparable. I also think if you look at the money spent and the side that Bruce have, I don't think that's comparable either. But, but, but it really frustrates me how, how anyone, in my opinion, who tries to make something out of the job Bruce is doing only does so by saying it's at least as bad as Rafa when it's not. But even if that was true, that's not a reasonable argument to say a manager should be, should be kept in the job. You know, how far do you want to go back? Like Mark Corby made the point on Twitter, should we compare Bruce to Willie McFall? What about Joe Harvey? <laughs> what about the lad that managed us to, you know, re- the first ever relegation? It's it's just ridiculous. The fact that you you ignore what's in front of you and, and almost accept it because, because Newcastle played Chelsea in September 2018 and, and had less shots, even though the game only finished 2-1 and it was a very late goal from Chelsea, controversial one offside. Um you know, it's just nonsensical to be looking back at games two years ago against the same opponent when Newcastle side that day cost about a third of the one it put out yesterday. Similarly, when people say you can complain all you want, it's all down to Ashley. Yes, that's true. That is true. You know, that that is the absolute argument for this. But at the but but at the same at the same time, why why bother tuning in this podcast? Why bother going to a game? Why you know why bother doing any of those things? If you say, oh, well, it's it's just Ashley, because it's not just Ashley, because that team and that squad of players are capable of miles better than we've seen from in much of Steve Bruce's time, but particularly the last two weeks. Like Norman alluded to, you could try by, by playing players in position, you could try by picking a formation and, and tactically setting up the team um, that, that will result in, in at best, 30 to 35% possession. And then, obviously, if you have the ball, 
as little as we do, it's so important the way that the, that you use it. Everything else becomes more important in the game. The, he doesn't have to reduce Newcastle United to this. It isn't a necessity just because Mike Ashley gave you the job. I don't know what what you two both think about those arguments, but I just I just can't see any argument from from staying in a job. The only argument I would have is who would replace him. I mean, oh, like 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 any like uh, Daniel Fark at Norwich. <laughs> I mean, there you, go. you know, Daniel Fark at Norwich. Yeah, he got relegated last season, but Norwich spent no money and played us off the park twice. And Brentford. at least he has an identity. The lad of Brentford, Eddie Howe. Would take would take them. I, I could go into the championship. Mike O'Neill at Stoke City, given the job that he did in Northern Ireland and the job that he's done since he took over at Stoke. I, I, him, um, the, for me, there are definitely managers out there that I would prefer and that are within a kind of realistic grasp. You know, because the thing is, people can say, "Oh, if you get rid of Bruce, who are we going to bring in?" Right? What what this this thought process is is that okay? This is Mike Ashley. So if Bruce Gans, you'll throw a mad curveball like bringing you know Alan Pardew back or bringing Joe Kinnear out of like you know fifteen years <laughs> retirement. So, so that's what the, that's what the mindset is. It's like, well, look with Ashley. Bruce probably isn't that bad if you if you compare him to you know if you compare the decisions that he's capable of making, i.e., giving John Carver the job. But that's not how the thought process should be. The thought process should be hold on, right? Steve Bruce leaves. Who come and get in that is realistic, like realistic, not like the realms of fantasy. You know what I mean? Let's get Pochettino in because you know I'm, I'm sure he'd love to work um, for Mike Ashley. Um, th- that's just being realistic is by me looking at looking at the championship game. Actually, there are some really good managers in there who I think would do um, a, a, perhaps a better job than Bruce, or even if they don't, at least it shows a modicum of ambition. You know, you're bringing a, a young manager, like Alex mentioned, such as Farga, or such as Mike O'Neill, or the lad at Brentford, um, or Eddie Howe, who's still relatively young and has, a, and has quite an established Premier League record. Yes, he's got a relegation on there, but, you know, you, you've got to look at the bigger picture. They're, they're people I would have, but the, the reality is it's not going to happen. I mean, the club, I think, I think I saw a story saying that, you know, the club fully fully backed Steve Bruce, which again, it shows you kind of how out of touch the majority of the club are with the fans. And I'm obviously, we don't speak for all the fans. There are fans who are who um, who back Steve Bruce uh, or, or believe that he's the man to, to take the club forward. Then, you know, fair, fair play. Um, but most of the people that I know uh, in, my, in my social circle don't think that's the case. Um, and I think, it's just, it's just all very sad, isn't it? You know, we've won seven, we've won seven games in twenty nine. Um, in, in ten of those games that we played in twenty nine, we haven't scored a goal. Um, you know, as I said before, twelve points from games in which we've fallen behind under Steve Bruce. Eight Premier League home games without a clean sheet. Um, things aren't particularly pretty at the moment. Uh, but, but I think we know what happens. Yeah, we go out to Palace next week, and given how, given the pattern of how Steve Bruce's Newcastle United career has panned out. We go to Palace next week on the back of these two awful, awful defeats when we're kind of throwing arms up in the air, you know, going over the same complaints that would be pretty much going over from day one. We're going to Palace and win 2 1, and all of a sudden it's a case of Steve Bruce is doing a brilliant job at Newcastle. But what the fans complaining for, they're on 14 points, they've just beat Palace away. And again, it's just that kind of narrow, that narrow kind of mindedness, not seeing the bigger picture and, and looking at it from a, from a perspective that doesn't actually understand what's going on. And I think that's the that's frustration. But ultimately, as long as Mike Ashley's in Newcastle and as long as Steve Bruce wants that job, then he's here as far as I can see. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 I agree. And I, and I also think, in terms of that question about, well, who would you bring in then? Well, all right, then Southampton should have kept hold of Mark Hughes. Do you know what I mean? Um, Brighton should have kept hold of Chris Hooten. You know, there are people who are paid very well to make these decisions and go out there and find the best managers that they can. Without wanting to go too much in age and history here, depending on who you believe, Steve Ruth was ninth ninth choice to take the Newcastle job after the likes of Patrick Vieira, 
Mikel Arteta and several others had, had, had turned the chance down. Um, so he was seventh. Well, hang on, hang on. Didn't Allardyce say that they'd approached him that summer? That's great, so, so Bruce was behind Allardyce. Um, gravy sales would have gone through the, the roof in the northeast. I mean, you know, every cloud. Um, right, uh, you know, we, we, we've got we've got through a lot there, and it's 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 been emotional. Like we said, we've done forty five minutes, which which just about matches the time we, we tried to get connected to, to begin with. Just just really quickly for both of you before we uh, we leave it for another week, and um, you know, Charlotte, Bruce in, Bruce out. Would you sack him? Would you give him more games? What, where, where are you with it? I'm done. Bruce out. <laughs> Bruce out. Norman. Truthfully, what difference does it make? Because he's still going to be here. Personally, I want. I'd rather Bruce wasn't here and we had somebody I think can take the club forward in charge. But it's not going to happen. So it's just a case of ambivalent acceptance. I think. Yes, you're, you're right. For, for right now, on a Sunday afternoon in, in November after Chelsea. You look at those games coming up and, you know, like, I said this in the Man United podcast, I, I've wanted them gone since then, and it's actually the first time under his tenureship, so it's not like I started off saying I'm not going to support him, which is which is levelled at Newcastle fans, by the way, that they've always wanted them out. Um, I don't think it's true or fair. I said at the Man, that Man United game, we will, we will win more games this season, and, 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 and I will will praise the team and the manager when they do well and win those games, and I think I did that against Everton, I think people listening who might be of the same opinion also give credit where it's due and, mm-hmm. and fair enough but I think if you look at those two games if we go and lose to um, Palace next week and Palace are not a good side if we lose to them and we lose badly which I hope we don't I hope we win and, and like like everything I hope Steve Bruce has me eating these words yeah it, it, you know I don't care about about what I say or if I'm right and loads of Newcastle fans are the same but if we go to if we go to Palace and West Brom uh, sorry Palace and Villa and lose both those games. You're on 11 points from 11 games with, with two miracle points included at Wolves and well, definitely at Spurs, but maybe at Wolves as well. Then you've got West Brom at home and Leeds away and Fulham at home. Now, Newcastle could, you know, we could be sat here laughing and we could be saying, uh, you know, remember when we thought we might get relegated. If we don't start vastly improving our performances over the next two or three weeks in those games, it, it's starting to become kind of, you know, let's say we lose the next two games. It, it, very quickly, it becomes um, one one win and seven, one win and eight. Bruce's overall record now what is it? Seven wins and thirty, something like that. Um, you know, it's 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 not as good as one and four. And teams that only tend to win one and four games get relegated. So whilst there are a lot of people saying this, the sides below us are are too far away, and, and maybe they are. If we continue to to, to chug along this season between seventeenth and fifteenth place. That noise becomes louder and louder, and the you know, like the club have told Luke Edwards today in his report for the Telegraph, where it's a vocal minority. I don't think it is a vocal minority, but fine, that's up to them. Uh, believe what you want to believe, lads. Uh, if it makes you feel better, um, you know, without trying to get ahead of myself, when we start being let into grounds again, then then you'll hear grumbles. You know, if, if we if we con- if he continues as a one in four wins, you know, one win in four games in the league, Newcastle manager alongside the absolute car crash performances, which, by the way, are getting worse, not better, yeah. then then it'll soon become unsustainable. And if you lose the players, that's what Bruce is good at, isn't it? Keeping the players on side. If he loses the players as well as the fans, you cannot stay in situ. I don't think the club wanted to sack Steve McLaren. It was ridiculous he was kept in situ as long as he was. Um, 
but but the hand was forced by the St James's Park crowd at that Bournemouth game. We aren't a million miles away from the same things happening uh, against Steve Bruce, in my opinion. So, if I was the club and if they were listening, which they're most certainly not <laughs> to this podcast, then then they have to, you know, they're going to either make a change now, or if we lose the next two games, or if we don't win in the next four, or if we win one of the next ten. Or they can make a change in the, in the new year, but ch- changes come and take over and no take over. And we should probably do an overall takeover podcast. I keep meaning to, mm-hmm. um, to to kind of summarize that situation where where we're at or what we read because we don't know. But um, you know, St- Steve Bruce doesn't have a long term future at Newcastle United. I'm convinced of it, and it, it's not because I think there's any great desire to get rid of him from the people who 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 are in charge. But this 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 cannot go on. There is nothing nothing in Steve Bruce's long managerial career that suggests he'll turn this round. I hope he does, but I but I don't I don't think and, and I referenced the toxic situations at Aston Villa and Sunderland. A lot of Newcastle fans I know don't don't just dislike him, they hate him because of because of the nonsense he says and because of the 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 ridiculous abuse, the ridiculous things he says about this support. When when the biggest problem at Newcastle United, apart from Mike Ashley, is currently his management. Norman, you want to finish off? Just on the club saying that it's a vocal minority, given that we haven't had fans in stadiums since February, where is this coming from? Where is this statistical analysis? I mean, have the, have the club like carried out sort of qualitative data analysis on Twitter? You know, have they, have they basically like searched for certain words and actually carried out the analysis? Because this vocal minority, it, it's absolutely nonsensical. It's a total madness to say it because there is no one in the football scene. Like how, and, and also, again, I think we've spoken about this before. Steve Bruce and the laws be keep those be grumbles, keyboard warriors, etc., etc. Who is actually feeding the Steve Bruce and the club this information? I can't get my head around it. Like yes, yes, within my sphere, everyone I know actually, everyone I know is is unhappy with how the club is and how Steve Bruce is as a manager. You look at Twitter, you get that major impression as well. So, so seeing it's it's a vocal, vocal, which suggests that people are using the voice minority. It's just it's nonsensical. It's absolutely nonsensical, and um, it just again it ties into what I, what I said before. The club are so utterly disconnected from the fans, and they've got absolutely zero idea as to what we really kind of want, or if they have got an idea of it, they're choosing to actively ignore it and disagree with it. To be fair, mate, uh, to the club, and it's not often I stick up for them, apart from um, the fans who go to games, the fans on Twitter, the fans on Facebook, the fans on Instagram, the fans on YouTube. If you ignore all of them, Steve Bruce is dead popular. So it, it's just it's just that minority of all the fans who don't that, like him. Is that, yeah, um, is that the, the lad in um, Singapore gets up at three in the morning to watch him? because he loves a team who hangs on until they're dead. <laughs> basically, he's not complaining because, he, because he's not turning on anymore because there's no point. So <laughs> viva Steve Bruce. I can't believe we've done nearly 55 minutes on this absolute <laughs> horror show of a football club at the minute, but thanks to you both, Charlotte and Norman. Um, we'll be back for you next Saturday, probably. Hoping to have a journalist on who we spoke to at the end of last season who said, um, come back to me after 10 games next season. And if we um, are still rubbish and still um, still don't have a defined style of play, I'll be calling for his head like everyone else. So that'll be interesting. I'll not name who it is. Um, Support Slate and Orient. Um, writes the Telegraph. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So he might cryptic. be on. Uh, yeah, no. Who could it be? Barry Hearn. Uh, um Right. Thanks for listening. Hope you all join us next week. Thanks for sticking with True Faith, and also you can catch the Charlotte Show. Hugely popular. Show. Had George Colkin on this week of the Athletic to talk all things Newcastle United. Subjects ranged from sharks takeovers 
teeth ache, toothache, everything you would want to hear from a Newcastle United mm-hmm. show it has. Where can you catch it, Charlotte? Uh, on on YouTube, on the YouTube, youtube.com forward slash TFNUFC, I believe. Um, if that's not right, search True Faith Podcast on uh, YouTube and uh, and we'll be there. But we, we post it on Twitter as well and on our Facebook. So plenty of places to find it. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.